Well, praise the Lord. Well, we're glad that you're here today. Um, if you didn't know or if you didn't catch it already, today is Sanctity of Human Life Day. Uh, where across the nation, there are churches and organizations um, highlighting right to life and uh, the ability to um, to really honor life as God has intended. And today, we've got an incredible opportunity to hear uh, a wonderful testimony. I'm very, very excited about it. And uh, it, But more than just a testimony of, of uh, someone that has really received healing through a very difficult time in their life, um, we believe that God is going to be moving here in this service in particular to touch hearts and lives today. And, uh, and you may have uh, a close experience with this topic, uh, with abortion in your family or uh, something, and we'll be talking about that. Um, but even if not, there may be still other areas of healing and desire to, of breakthrough. And today we are believing for that. And to help us along that journey. Uh, about a year ago, just over a year ago, uh, we reached out to Avery Alverson and asked that uh, if she would be willing to come on uh, our Right to Life Sunday. Uh, typically, uh, over the last several years, we've highlighted our uh, human or our uh, Right to Life Sunday with some video, maybe some testimony, different things like that. We wanted to up the ante because of its importance. And, uh, and so we reached out and uh, she is uh, written an incredible book, and I'm sure you'll talk about that. We want to encourage you to get a copy today. Uh, but as she comes here, just a second, um, she is married to uh, Larry Alverson, uh, and some of us know who he is. Uh, he has pastored in the Michigan District uh, at Grand Rapids first for 18 years, is that right? And then served for 12 years in Flint at Mount Morris Assembly, and now is retired back in uh, the Grand Rapids area. Area. And uh, they, so we're, we're talking about a ministry couple here um, that is just loves the Lord, loves to share. And uh, we just want to give them a warm welcome. And I'm not sure if you're both coming or just Avery, but Avery, let's uh, have you come and let's give her a warm <laughs> gateway welcome. Wow, what a great welcome. Is this on? Can you hear me? I want, oh, it is on. Okay, I couldn't hear myself. Well, what an awesome welcome, and what a great crowd for a morning like this. That weather out there was quite a drive coming over from Grand Rapids. It wasn't too bad till we got close to the lake, and then you get that lake effect. Um, yeah, I want to thank Pastor Ben for inviting me to come. I just love to come new places and meet new people and, and share a story that I think might bless many of you in this place today. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm sure of it. Um, I wasn't going to really talk about my book much, but I was so excited hearing Pastor Ben talk about this building program. Larry and I have had the opportunity and the blessing to be a part of many building programs over the years, uh, especially at First Assembly, building the 5,000-seat sanctuary and so forth. And when we would pray, sometimes God asks us to give huge, huge amounts, way over a uh, pastor's salary. And, but it's not, it's like Pastor Ben said, it's not uh, figure out and calculate uh, promise. It's a faith promise. And when God would tell us the same amount that seemed absolutely impossible mathematically and we obeyed, he went way beyond uh, making us able to make that commitment but blessed us way beyond I above it. 
So I am excited, and I hope that every single one of you in this room today will participate, not so much for the church, that's part of it, but for you, so you can be excited. In this book, there are many stories of how God miraculously provided for us to be able to give in programs like this. And if you read it, it will increase your faith and get you excited about what you guys are doing, because I'm excited about it. All right. <clears throat> well, um, this morning, before I get started, I would like to share a few updates from Right to Life of Michigan. Brian Cusack is their public relations person, and we are good friends with him, so he always helps me out with that. But in the past um, <clears throat> three years, they have closed 10 abortion clinics in the state of Michigan. So that's great. Isn't that great? <clears throat> One of them was the last one in Lansing, and a pro-life organization has uh, rented it, and they are using it as a pro-life outreach now instead of an abortion clinic. That's great. The number of teen and minor abortions have been reduced uh, by 78% in the state of Michigan since the 1990s. Isn't that awesome? Well, not all the news is good. The repeat abortions are an all-time high in Michigan. So women, you're not new people, but women are coming back for second, third, fourth abortions. And there's a reason, well, and another thing is that the African-American community, for the first time, is now accounting for over 50% of the abortions in the state of Michigan, and they are only 14% of the population. And there's a reason for that, and that's because Planned Parenthood is consolidating uh, abortion clinics and Planned Parenthood organizations, and they're moving them into the cities and they are marketing toward the minorities, the Hispanic, the, the blacks, and so forth. And so, and they're being successful at that. And so that's one of the areas that we're working on to help in that area. But I just wanted to update you a little bit there with that. Um, so there was a, a story about a lady. How many of you, when you write notes or send cards to people, you like to put a scripture verse in there? A lot of people do that. Well, this lady did that. She always put a scripture reference, and she sent a telegram. This was back many years ago to uh, someone, that, a couple that was getting married. And she put her little scripture verse, 1 John 4, 18, which talks about God's love and how perfect love casts out fear. And, um, but the, unfortunately, the telegraph operator left off the one on 1 John. So it said, John, uh, uh, 418. And so they open up the Bible, and the husband's looking over his shoulder as they read. You have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. <laughs> now, this lady meant for her, her little scripture reference to be a blessing, and it turned out not to be. Well, you know, abortion's kind of like that. The abortion pro uh, proponents back in the day when they were all these arguments, and they're still going on today, but back then they were just saying how this is going to be so good for men and women. It's going to bring them closer together. It's going to do all these good things, free women up and all that. But really it hasn't done much except for kill children and wound women. And so, you know, it didn't do what it was meant to do. So being Sanctive Human Life Sunday, we just want to focus on that. And realize that God definitely believes in the sanctity of human life. I mean, he believes that every life matters, and he created it to begin with. And he created the earth to be a place where life, human life, would flourish. So um, he believes in the sanctity of the life of babies in the mother's womb, the sanctity of old people who may not be able to function like they once could, the sanctity of the life of people dying of horrible diseases, um, of those who are maybe debilitated by some kind of an accident and their life has totally changed. He believes in the sanctity of all these lives, including the life of men and women who have been involved in having an abortion. Jeremiah 31.15 says, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. 
Rachel is weeping for her children because, and she refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And then Jeremiah 31, 13 says, For I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and will give them joy for their sorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your presence is here already today. I just thank you for that wonderful presence that's with us. Lord, speak to our hearts. Open up each one of our hearts. Let us hear from you, not from a person, not from a preacher, Lord God, but from you, from the Holy Spirit of the living, awesome God. Speak to our hearts and guide us and bring your healing and your truth and, and just change our lives, Lord God. Help us to see things the way you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Rama in that verse, a voice heard in Rama, that is a little town five miles north of Jerusalem. And Rachel represents Israel. She's the mother of two of Israel's children, Benjamin and Joseph. And um, she was weeping. She represented Israel weeping for Israel, who was being taken away to Babylon at that time. But then in Matthew chapter 2, it explains that this is also prophetic of the time when Herod would come and kill all the babies two years and under, and, and Israel again was weeping for their children because they are no more. But I know the, the um, truth of these verses for a more personal reason. I had an abortion this very week in 1970. And if my child would have lived, he'd be 45 years old today. So I grew up in church, in a mainline denominational church. Went to church, was bored to tears. It was one of those kind of churches where you read out of a prayer book. Everything's read, nothing spontaneous except maybe the sermon, which was about social issues and not the word of God. So I didn't know about knowing Jesus. And when I went to college, I didn't go to church anymore. It was boring. I still prayed, though. I prayed every night to God. I believed in God, and I knew he loved me. So that was a good thing. But um, before I went to college, now I grew up in the 50s and 60s. I was born in 1949. So back then, really, pretty much until I graduated from high school, you, it was thought that you should wait till you got married to have sex. And everyone believed that. Not everybody did that, but most people tried to do that. <laughs> but I went to college, and in 1968, my sophomore year, everything changed. Um, that is when there were demonstrations on the college campuses everywhere. There were riots in the cities, race riots. There were war protests. They set our student union on fire. The mantra was now make love, not war. There were hippies. There was drugs for the first time. I never heard anything about drugs before. Uh, alcohol, yes, but not drugs. So everything changed. And I was a very conservative person who liked to obey all the rules, and this was like overwhelming to me, all this happening. A lot of pressure to have sex, and I ended up my junior year pregnant. And... Um, now, you have to understand that this is before Roe versus Wade. This is 1970. So abortion is mainly illegal in our, in our country at that time. So our minister at our church back in Grand Rapids told my parents how I could receive a legal abortion in England. So they were going to send me by myself to England to have an abortion. Well, then my roommate in college, uh, whose father was a doctor in Kansas. I was at the University of Kansas. She's, her da dad said, well, she doesn't have to go to England. She can have one right here in Kansas. I'll get the necessary paperwork. And so he did. And because, um, first of all, I didn't want to have the emotional stress of putting my baby up for adoption, which was my first plan. And secondly, I didn't want to miss a semester of school. And because my parents, my church, the boy involved, the doctor, all these people said, this is what you should do. I just kind of did it without thinking much about it. And I had an abortion at the KU Medical Center. Well, there were some immediate consequences. I went back to my apartment, and I had this intense, intense desire to be a mother. And I tell you, I was very confused. What is wrong with me? 
I don't want to be pregnant. I don't want to have a baby when I'm not married. What it was, I didn't realize at the time, was I was mourning the loss of my baby. This turned into a physical pain in my abdomen. It was so horrible, so sharp of a pain, I could barely drive myself to the clinic. When I got there, I was put in the hospital, diagnosed with a spastic colon, which is how some people's body responds to stress. And so the stress of the abortion and the mourning that I was experiencing caused this. I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks and ended up having to leave school because I missed all the first tests and two weeks of classes and I couldn't catch up. So right away, what happened? <laughs> I had emotional stress and trauma. I had to miss a semester of school. Did the abortion solve those problems? No. I thought they would, but they didn't. Well, then things got better. I met Larry eight months later when I went back to school. And we were married in August of 1971. And we tried to have children right away. We only had, what, a few months left to school before we graduated and left. And then about 10 months after we were married, I met the Lord. I, I was born again. And there's a miraculous story of that in my book that I don't have time to tell you. I wish I could tell you about it, but I don't have time today. And another story, when Larry walks through the, the door two months later, after being furious with me for changing everything, and he didn't want a religious fanatic for a wife. He didn't want me loving God more than him. He comes through the door, and he's born again as well. So that, there are two great stories in there on that as well. <clears throat> so that totally changed our lives. Now, um, we're still trying to get pregnant, and a few years later, two more consequences were discovered to my abortion. First of all, my first wonderful best friend that was a Christian, Georgiana, was a nurse. And she told me that my, at the time I had my abortion, 10 weeks, she said that your baby was already completely formed. It already had toenails and fingernails. All it had left to do was grow. Well, I finally knew what had been, I knew something was wrong with it. I asked God when I got saved, forgive me for all these things, and I mentioned abortion, because I knew something was wrong with it. Well, now I knew I hadn't ended my pregnancy. I hadn't just removed tissue from my body. I had killed my baby. So even though I had been, I'd been reading the word, thank goodness, thank God, from the first day I got saved. I was in the word every day. I'd read through the new, whole New Testament the first six months, and I knew God loved me. I knew I was forgiven. I knew I had been washed clean and forgiven of all my sin. But this revelation made me go back. I had to go back through all that again and receive that forgiveness one more time. So <clears throat> the guilt and the shame, I had to, to get rid of that. Now, the problem is, is that I knew that I was forgiven and set free, but I felt guilty for not feeling guilty. Abortion is such a horrible thing. God, I, I feel guilty for not feeling guilty. And he said to me in my spirit, he said, Avery, when I died on the cross, I nailed your guilt to that cross. I bore your guilt for you. Guilt is debilitating. Guilt will keep you from being what I created you to be. Guilt is a tool that Satan uses to control you and to keep you down. He says, let it go. I don't want you to carry it. I took it for you and I was able to totally let it go. I have no shame. I am free. I am clean. I, I thank God every day. I am so in love with him for what he's done for me and what he's done for all of us. Hallelujah. So another thing that I learned around the same time, we learned that my tubes were blocked from having the abortion, and I was not able to have children. So we had surgery. I went to University of Michigan Medical Center and had um, surgery to open my tubes. Two years later, Still not pregnant, uh, I thought. We went to, I was taken to the hospital in the middle of the night in extreme pain. And they, I got to the hospital, my blood pressure was really, really low, dropping, and they said, she's bleeding internally, we gotta find out why. They take me into emergency surgery and uh, find out that I have an ectopic pregnancy. Now what that is, if you don't know, is that 
the baby is fertilized and it's, the egg is coming down, the, the fetus is coming down in the tube to get to the uterus, but it gets stuck in the tube, okay? Probably from uh, scar tissue from the surgeries before the abortion and stuff. So it gets stuck there, the baby's growing there. Well, obviously the baby's gonna eventually get too big for the tube and the tube had burst and I was bleeding to death. If Larry hadn't gotten me to the hospital right away, I would have bled to death and died. So <coughs> I'm coming down, they're rolling me down the hall. I can't open my eyes yet, but I can hear and I hear the doctor's voice. So I asked him, I said, what happened? He told me. And my first thought was, oh no, now it's gonna be even harder to get pregnant. Well, what happened then was one of my most precious times with the Lord. I saw two roads in front of me as I'm being rolled down the hall. On the right was this road that was all dark and it had pain and it had guilt and shame and sadness and grief and all kinds of, everything negative you can think of was on that road. And the other road on the other side was all lit up and Jesus was standing on it. He had his hand out to me. He said, Avery, he says, all you need is me. You can do anything as long as you have me. And I remember just going, okay, you know, taking his hand in my spirit. And the minute I did that, now I knew it didn't mean I was going to become pregnant. I knew it meant that whether I did or not, all I needed was him. When I took his hand, I was filled with a supernatural divine joy that I cannot describe to you today. It lasted three months. I've never experienced anything like it before or since. I never grieved the loss of that baby. I was so engulfed in the presence of God like we sang today. There's nothing like the presence of God. Don't do anything or get involved in anything that removes that presence from you because it is so precious. So that was, that was uh, really good. I never did become pregnant. I had to have surgery six months later. They were worried I might die from an ectopic pregnancy on the other side, and they had better procedures now to fix that problem. And so I did. They said I'd be pregnant, probably 98% chance of being pregnant within a year, but never did. But we did adopt two children, one of them from the Assemblies of God uh, Agency in Kansas City, and uh, they're now 37 and 33 years old. So God is good. God is good. But as you can see, I had emotional stress, missing a semester of school, three major surgeries, almost dying, infertility, all as a result of that one decision that I made. Actually, the decision was to have sex before marriage. Um, that was the decision that got me in trouble, more so than the abortion. If I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have to make a decision about abortion. <coughs> Post-abortion syndrome wasn't known at that time because it was so new. Abortion was, didn't really become legal till 73. But I want to read to you a quote by Susan Stafford Rue. <clears throat> this was in our brochure in the organization that we had. It's, she says, in spite of the debate surrounding abortion, every day thousands of women make this choice. She's a, a psychologist, a PhD, by the way. Believing that somehow the decision is for the best, they go ahead and deny what they intuitively feel. They decide in haste and live out their lives in silent agony. I know because I did. I also know that healing is possible but only if you face your decision, embrace the loss of your child, and reach out to a loving God. Isn't that beautiful? <coughs> they did a lot of studies. <coughs> they did a lot of studies, about 50 of them, between 1978 and 87 to see the effects of abortion. Let me just read to you some of the major psychological effects that happen to, to women and men sometimes. Feeling isolated and helpless, emotional numbness, desire to be a mother, guilt, shame, Difficulty forgiving, anger, bitterness, resentment, depression, intense sadness or grief, lowered self-esteem, suicidal thoughts, nightmares, substance abuse, sexual problems, and eating disorders. Now, when I was doing my support groups, the ladies, most of them had 
multiple, you know, they had several of these, um, uh, different kinds of symptoms in their life. And a lot of times women do not even connect it with the abortion. They don't know what's causing these problems in their life. But it is connected to the abortion. After 43 years, the emergence of post-abortion grief is causing many people to rethink their position. It started back in the, in the 90s. Even the pro-choice movement back then was realizing this. Frederica Matthews Green, has a quote, there is tremendous sadness and loneliness in the cry of woman's right to choose. No one wants an abortion as she wants an ice cream cone or a Porsche. She wants an abortion as an animal caught in a trap wants to gnaw off its leg. This quote appeared in the Planned Parenthood Public's Action Letter and the Pro-Choice Network Newsletter. Now, um, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, there was an abortion clinic and it closed and it was purchased by a crisis pregnancy center. And I, yeah, there's a picture. They purchased it and they were going to demolish part of it and they were going to make a crisis pregnancy center and the National Memorial for the Unborn, which is there and my, I have a little plaque there for my baby. Um, anyway, you can see the picture when they were starting the demolition of the part of the building there. Well, the next day they came back and you can see it's kind of blurry, but there's a little vase there with a yellow rose and baby's breath and you'll see next to it there's a note and I have the note here somewhere. Here it is. Let me read to you what this note said. Hear the cry and the pain in my heart. Feel the cry of my soul, the secret I hide, my child. You were 11 weeks old, so I was told. I didn't know. I can't turn back. I know now. My child, I don't even know if you're a girl or a boy. I don't even know if you can forgive me. My child, can you hear the pain in my heart? Can you feel the cries of my soul, the secret I hide, my child? And it's signed, your mother. So women are wounded by this. They're victims of the abortion. They're tricked by Satan and whatever plans he has. And we need, there's millions of hurting people like this. In the church, this is a very conservative estimate. One out of six women sitting in the church, any church, has had an abortion. And many of us know people. You know, maybe we're connected to abortion, you know, through somebody else. And you have to remember, that means one out of six men, too. Now, not all men know about it, because there are some women who have abortions without the man knowing, but it does uh, affect both men and women. And especially in pro-life churches, it's really hard. S women many times feel the need to hide the fact that they had an abortion. They don't feel comfortable coming forward and telling anybody. When I gave my testimony in front of First Assembly, um, in Grand Rapids, in front of thousands of people. Um, they were shocked I was a pastor's wife. No one ever would have ever thought I'd had an abortion. And people came up after the service, an elder's wife. Many people, never told anybody they'd all had an abortion. So this isn't something that's just a few people out there and nobody in the church. It, it involves everybody. So, um, so they keep it hidden in the dark. They don't want people to know. But who lives and works in the dark? Satan. That's where he lives and works. If he can get us to keep our secrets and our pain and our sin hidden in the dark, he can use it. He can control us with it. He can manipulate us with it. We need to bring it to the light. We need to bring it to the Lord and um, so he can deal with it and set us free. But God has a word for all of us. He says, and you, this has been a popular verse the last 10 years. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. You know, some abortions have been um, committed 25, 30, 40, 50 years ago. 
and people are still suffering from it. There was a lady in her 80s at a nursing home, and she reached out to the nurse one day when she was getting close to dying, and she grabbed her hand and said, I just have to tell somebody nobody knows, but 60 years ago I had an abortion, and I'm still grieving my baby. So men are affected by this too. You have to understand, when God created man, he created him to be the protector, the provider, and the procreator. When he's involved in an abortion, it violates the very nature of who he is, who he was created to be. This is not just a women's issue here. It's a man's issue as well. So the church, the church right here needs to be the place where these men and women can receive healing. That's the way God planned it. God wants to heal them. The world says, oh, there's nothing wrong with abortion. Just get on with your life. And the church sometimes makes people feel like they've committed the unforgivable sin. They'll have be wearing a big A on their chest, you know, if they tell anybody. But, um, you know, I, I remember many times before I gave my testimony at First Assembly, that was about 1991, I think. But before then, I'd be in a group of people, and if the subject of abortion came up, there was always someone, always someone who would say something like, I just don't understand what kind of a person could kill their baby. What kind of a monster would do something like that? And that monster was standing right next to him. Fortunately for me, I had such a close walk with the Lord, and I was in the Word every day since the day I got saved, I knew that didn't hurt me like it would hurt most women who've had abortion who do not have a close relationship with the Lord. And I just felt sorry for them. I said, you're missing the, missing the boat here. You need to, you're not the judge. God's the judge. You know, we, we, that's not our job to judge people. We're, we're here to give compassion and God's love and his forgiveness. So we need to pro provide that atmosphere of love and forgiveness in the church where healing can take place. Now, Romans 8.28 is wonderful. You know, you, I'm sure you probably all have heard this quoted many times. God calls us all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You may wonder, how in the world can God use abortion? Well, let me tell you. In 1991, I was volunteering at the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Grand Rapids, and Right to Life called. They were looking for women who'd had abortions. The Senate and the House were, were considering uh, informed consent legislation, which would give women, they would have to be given information about their baby and all kinds of things and the possible effects of having an abortion uh, before they could um, perform an abortion. So they were, they were tired of the pro-choice people and the pro-life people, all the lobbies. They didn't want to hear from them anymore. They wanted to hear from women who'd had abortions. What do you think? Is this good? Would this have helped you? So there were 16 other women besides me. We came from all over the state of Michigan. We went several times to Lansing, and we testified before the House committees and the Senate committees. And they did decide. Uh, every one of the six, uh, 17 women said, yes, this would have been great if I would have had that information. And one person came that said it was bad. That was an abortion provider from Detroit. She said, no, no, this legislation's a bad thing. Because <laughs> it would affect how many abortions they performed, and it would affect the bottom line, how much money they would make. So um, then while there, so that was one blessing, but while there, I met a gal named Lynn Roloffs, and we formed Morning Joy Ministries, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, based on that scripture I read earlier, how he will turn your morning into joy and, and uh, comfort you and, and uh, give you joy for your sorrow. So that was our verse, and we had support groups all over the Grand Rapids area. When we'd finish a group, usually one or two of those women in that group would want to become leaders. They were so thankful of what, what God did. It was an eight-week support group, and in eight weeks, their lives were totally transformed, and they were set free. It was just wonderful. It was like watching Psalm 3-3 come to life before my eyes, which says, he's the glory and the lifter of my head, because these women would come. No life in their eyes, looking down, sometimes unkept, just very, very sad. 
And um, I would watch as during the weeks of the group, it was like God would just reach down, lift up their, their chin, and put a smile on their face. I remember one group, it was the seventh week, and we were all laughing about something. And one of the ladies says, look at us. Just look at us. Would you have thought a few weeks ago we'd be here laughing like this? It was great. Pam Lamonico came to one of our earlier groups, and she had had her abortion nine years earlier. She had been to therapy. She'd been counseling with her priest for years. She had had a professional therapist for several years. Her professional therapist finally recommended our group, and she couldn't drive her car. She was having panic attacks all these years, trying to take care of three little boys. And um, so we had someone pick her up and bring her. By the third group, she was driving herself after nine years. Um, Diane was another one. She had uh, been in therapy for 12 years. She had tried to kill herself five times, been in and out of Pine Rest in Grand Rapids. By the second week, her whole countenance was changing already. She was beginning to be set free. Part of it, that very first meeting that we have, we all share our story. And for many of them, it's the first time that they have ever shared their story. But they feel safe there because everybody there has had an abortion and they all understand. And that's the beginning. That's the beginning of getting it in the light and out of the dark. So anyway, that was great. So, um, and I don't take credit for what happened in those groups, by the way. My, I had a co-leader, and it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who is, heals. Jesus is the only one who can remove the shame and the guilt. No therapy really truly does that, because it doesn't reach down into the spirit. So, thank God for his spirit, who does these marvelous, wonderful things. So God did turn the worst thing in my life into one of the most rewarding. Hallelujah. Well, now I'm going to read to you Three stories, and these are stories of women who ended up having abortions, and um, just so you can kind of get an, an idea of why a lot of women end up in abortion clinics. The first woman says, I grew up in a household short on love for my mother. In fact, mom had a complete inability to nurture. I really didn't know a mother who loved me. She was always intensely critical of me and made me feel unwanted and ugly. In fact, she still thinks that I've worked as hard as I could to make myself as ugly as possible. I've gone through psychoanalysis to work through the, my rage at my mother. Not only did I have to contend with my mother's cutting remarks growing up, but I witnessed my parents' heated marital battles so many times. I remember my father so angry, his face reddening, banging his fists on the table and storming out of the room. It's no wonder that I ended up participating in a violent, abusive marriage, leading a life of quiet depression. I was divorced from my husband and finally, finally liberated from a half-self to a whole-self and, and free from my comfortable concentration camp. My, the second woman says, I also experienced a lack of parental nurture. I was a child of divorce, and my father was unable to keep a steady job and abandon us as a family. This happened years after my mother suffered a nervous breakdown. From then on, I coped with my father's absence while taking care of my deranged mother. To deal with the pain of, and humiliation of living with a mentally ill mother who painted the windows in the house black. I developed a protective shell around myself. I detached myself from my impoverished existence and the embarrassment of it all. I had fantasies that my biological parents were actually my foster parents, and someday my real parents would arrive and rescue me from my pain. Well, I've had many men in my life and several abortions I've been reluctant to marry. The third one goes like this. When I was three, my daddy went to war. He returned, later, uh, returned years later, looking visibly aged by the experience. My life has been full of pain and humiliation. My mom beat me viciously on occasions. If I lost a ball or a coloring book, she would never allow me to have another. I remember being so hungry for attention, I went to the park only to be abused by older men. As I grew older, the antagonism between my mother and me continued. I was bright. In fact, I'm now earning a doctorate at Cambridge University, but as an adolescent, I was forced to pay room and board. I opened the refrigerator one day to pour myself a glass of milk when my mother caught me and she said, leave that alone. That's for my children. 
I was stunned by my mother's overt rejection. I immediately left the house, taking only the clothes I had on. Where was my father? If I put my arms around him, he would grimace and pretend to sh shudder and shove me away from him. It was a joke, of course, a tiresome, hurtful, relentless, and stupid joke. I clung to the faith that he was not generally indifferent to me and did not really find me repulsive, but I never quite succeeded in banishing the fear of such a thing. The bottom line is, I've always thought I was unlovable. So I hope, you know, those kind of stories you can understand how some women just end up in a place like an abortion clinic. But there's one thing I didn't tell you, and that's the names of these three women. These are the stories of Betty Friedan, Gloria Steinem, and Jermaine Greer. And if you're young, you probably don't know those names, but those are three of the main leaders of the pro-abortion movement back in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s. And what do they need from the church, from us? Hate, judgment, condemnation? No, they need the same love and forgiveness and healing that we all need. Hallelujah, thank you Jesus that you love us all. So, love never fails. You know, if love is not a part of the answer to what you're doing, then God's not a part of it, because God is love, okay? Love always needs to be a part, doesn't ever fail. Joan Appleton was a um, nurse, and she was uh, part of Molly Yard, she worked with Molly Yard in the NOW organization, and she um, wanted to help women, so she worked at an abortion clinic. And she had, there were sidewalk counselors outside. She became good friends with one of them because she said they seemed to love and care about the women as much as I did. Then after years, she noticed men, women coming back for second, third, fourth abortions, she said they were worse off every time they came back than the time before. So she was able, with the help of the sidewalk counselor and love, she was able to leave the abortion industry and then she eventually did get saved. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, it says in Ephesians 6. Now, love, I was so blessed by your singing that song today about God's love for us. Last um, Monday at the conference on the ministry, the Holy Spirit stopped me in the middle of one of the sessions, and he said, I want you to emphasize love when you're at that church next week. And you were right on. That's what the Spirit's trying to do today. I don't know why. I don't know who it is, maybe several of you. You need to know how much God loves you. You need to receive it. You need to just open up and receive it. There's nothing you could have done that would keep him from loving you more than he does. His love is overwhelming. It's huge. It's awesome. And sometimes we can't be what God wants us to be because we won't receive it. You can't give that love away. You can't um, give that compassion that God has for people until you receive it for yourself. So we need to receive it today till it just fills us up, till it overflows from us into the lives of others. That's a word from the Lord. He spoke it to me clear. And I wondered, where is it going to fit in my message? I stuck it right here. He wants you to receive his love today if you've not ever received it to the full. So we need to do that. Okay. This message applies to all of us today. This is not a message just for people who have been involved in an abortion. Many of us in this room have things in our life that we're terribly ashamed of, things that we can't seem to forget or receive forgiveness for, could be something that happened a long, long time ago or something that happened last month. I don't know what it is, but you know what it is, and God knows what it is. It's something you wish you could just do over or change, but you can't. Could be one of many things that makes you cringe every time you think about it. Nobody knows about it, maybe, but you do. So God is here today, and he wants you to be free. I really believe he wants every one of us in this room to be free from whatever it is that's holding us back, whatever it is in our lives that we've never totally received that forgiveness for. You know, the devil, 
He wants to use the knowledge of any sin or hurts or in your life to keep you from God, you know, just giving you, filling you with shame and condemnation and bitterness and all kinds of stuff. But God wants to do the knowledge, to use the knowledge of your sin or your pain or your hurts. He wants to use that to bring you to him so he can give you cleansing and forgiveness and healing. So don't, let, don't listen to Satan. <laughs> you just ignore him, and you listen to God pleading with you. Come to me. I've got exactly what you need. You just need to receive it. Psalm 103, I love Psalm 103. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. I love that. He could have said the north and the south, but you can measure from the north pole to the south pole. He said the east from the west. If you go east, you keep going east forever. It never ends. You're still going east. <laughs> it's an immeasurable, infinite distance that he wants to remove your sin from you. You have to let him take it and do that. So it's my desire and my prayer today that each one of you will receive that cleansing, that healing, whatever it is you need from God, and you'll be able to be filled up with his love. So receive his forgiveness. Let go of the guilt and the shame. Just let it go and be free once and for all. You know, it's like my, I love, my favorite hymn is as well with my soul. And um, I love the third verse, my favorite verse. He says, my sin, and then he has to interrupt himself because what he's about to say is so important. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. I love that verse. I love singing that song. And now I'd like you to just let God minister to you, receive his love and forgiveness as you watch this video. Amen. Well, thank you, Avery, for coming, for sharing. And uh, we want to just give an opportunity to respond to what the Lord may be doing in our hearts today. Uh, today's a message of love, of forgiveness. And uh, so many times we can hold on to things um, that we uh, shouldn't be holding on to. And uh, God wants to let, it, let those things go. I'm going to ask that you just close your eyes and bow your heads this morning. And uh, just going to ask two simple questions. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive forgiveness for your sins. Uh, like Avery said, and uh, like the Word of God says, God takes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He's ready to do that today. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior and you're ready to receive that forgiveness, would you just lift up your hand? I want to pray for you. I'm not going to uh, embarrass you in any way, but I want to pray and partner with you. Anyone here this morning, first service, that needs forgiveness in that way. Just give a second here to respond. If that's you, just slip up your hand. All right. All right, I don't see any hands. With your head, continue to be bowed and eyes closed. As we've highlighted love this morning and the reality that love never fails, that God's compassion is big, we are here to receive God's love 
If you are struggling in any way with forgiveness, forgiving yourself, forgiving someone else, or regret, and you're in need of forgiveness this morning, you're read, or not of forgiveness, but of freedom, if you're in need of freedom this morning, I'm just going to ask that you would raise your hand this morning. Yeah. Amen. Many, many hands. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. God is at work this morning. He wants to do a deep work in our lives. I'm going to ask that everyone would stand this morning. There are many people that responded with their hand raised, and there may be others that didn't by the raising of your hand, but this morning, I want to just take a moment here to call out on the name of Jesus. And so right where you are, I just want you to repeat after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for freedom, freedom that only comes from you. Thank you for setting me free and putting me on a path towards you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for forgiveness. And Lord, today, I put my hope in you. I put my future in you. In Jesus' name. And now I want us just to lift our hands all across this place and just thank the Lord for the freedom that comes when we surrender, when we give our hearts to him completely. Lord, we thank you, God, that you never leave us. You never forsake us. God, that your hand is upon us. Thank you, Lord, for life. Thank you, God, that every life matters. God, I pray for those, even in this building, right here, right now, that have, that have participated in abortion. God, I pray that your freedom would reign in this place. Lord, that you would just do a mighty, mighty work. And God, I pray that you'd continue or begin the healing process. God, I pray. Lord, we thank you, God, that you forgive us, God, that you help us in our weakness. And God, I pray right now, right here, God, that we would rest in your love, that your love would overflow us. God, that you would do a mighty, mighty work. Oh, God, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Just one other quick second, just pressing in to the presence of God. Thank you, God. We glorify you. Lord, we thank you, God, for what you're doing here, God. Lord, you're an amazing God. You're an amazing God. Lord, there's nothing we can do to deserve your love, but Lord, you lavish it on us. And God, there's nothing that we can do to earn your love. You just give it freely. God, we receive it. We receive it today. God, I pray that you'd pour it out in just heaps. And God, Lord, that it would just overwhelm us, your love, your power. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name. And Father, now I pray that as we leave here, that we would recognize that we are set free. Lord, that our head can be high. Lord, that our chins would be raised. That the joy of the Lord will be our strength. And God, that you would go with us, before us, and behind us, and all around us. I pray. 
We pray for this, that it would happen in each and every one of our lives, and we glorify you for it. In Jesus' wonderful name, and all God's people said amen and amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, this morning you are dismissed, and as we're dismissed, we're going to turn, we're going to greet one another. We want to say go in the grace of God. We love you. Thank you for being here.